If you join me in Bible study tonight, please open up your Bibles to Jeremiah chapter 6. In Jeremiah chapter 6, the southern kingdom of Judah is in trouble with the Lord. The northern kingdom of Israel has been gone more than a hundred years. And has Judah learned from what happened to the northern kingdom? No. They think what? That we can enjoy the blessings of God without repentance. Boy, that sounds kind of like today, huh? Because that's the point that the pastor we talked about before we started Bible study is coming from. In his point of view, the commandments have been abolished, which means you can do anything you want to and God's okay with it. But does the scripture bear out that position? Or does the scripture say, if you love me, come and keep my commandments? Unfortunately, as we read in Jeremiah chapter 6, Judah didn't do that. Judah believes that God will bless them each and every one. That God will protect the city of Jerusalem and won't let anything happen to that city or its inhabitants because they name the name of God as their God. Of course, they do that while they're worshiping Baal, Ishtar, Moloch, Dagon, and every other god under the panoply of pagan idols. But with their lips, they claim to be gods. Does that make you think of... Mark chapter 7. Yep. They honor me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. That is the condition of Judah in Jeremiah chapter 6. And we read, starting in verse 6, that the inhabitants of Judah and Jerusalem are going to be absolutely, totally destroyed, such that there's not a person left. That's what he meant by going through and gleaning the grapes until there's not a single one left. And we come up to verse 12. He's continuing that theme. As it says, and their houses shall be turned over to others. That doesn't mean they're going to sell them and make a nice profit and buy a place in the suburbs. It means that they're going to be taken out of the land and others brought in. Because that's what they would do back then, you know. They would depopulate a region of its inhabitants and then send foreigners in. The foreigners then have no national loyalty to the place. And the original inhabitants are dispersed such that they can't get access to the place. Which they think helps build a more empire-ish feeling. So our houses shall be turned over to others, fields and wives together, for I will stretch out my hand. Is that for comfort? No, it's for judgment. Against the inhabitants of the land, says the Lord. But how can God do this when he didn't tell them beforehand that if they turned away from him, he'd send them into captivity? Oh, that's what Jeremiah's been trying to tell them. Let's turn back to Deuteronomy 28. God's been telling them since the days of Moses. Deuteronomy 28, verse 36. If you think elephants have long memories, you ought to see God's memory. God never forgets. 
And in Deuteronomy 28, verse 36, God had said, The Lord will bring you and the king whom you set over you to a nation which neither you nor your fathers have known, and there you shall serve other gods, wood and stone. At the point we are in Jeremiah chapter 6, some of the inhabitants of Judah have already gone into captivity. And the rest didn't take an oath. The rest were like, hey, we're still here. We're good. God's on our side. What can man do to us? Problem with that is God's not on their side, right? That's the problem with the argument. So what does it mean in verse 12? It means they're going to go into captivity and others will enjoy the fruits of their labor, will enjoy the houses that they have had, the fields that they have had and enjoyed, the trees, the grapevines. It's all going to belong to someone else. This is what God had blessed the children of Israel with when he sent out the Canaanites. He turned over their lands and fields and everything to the children of Israel. Why? The Canaanites were pushed out because of their idolatry, their refusal to obey the Lord. So what happens when Judah starts acting like the Canaanites? He's not a respecter of person. He's not a person, so out of the land they go. Why didn't he tell us that then? Oh, wait a minute, he did. Let's look at verse 13. Because, because says, here's why they're going into captivity. Because from the least of them, even to the greatest of them, that is from the youngest to the oldest, from the poorest to the richest, to the most powerful to the least powerful, everyone is given to covetousness. And from the prophet, even to the priest, everyone deals falsely. That word covetousness in verse 13, I thought that deserves a little deeper look. Let's go to the book of Micah chapter 3. Micah chapter 3. Micah chapter 3. Micah chapter 3 says, Her heads judge for a bribe, her priests teach for pay, and her prophets divine for money. If that's their motivation, is what can I put in my pocket, that is covetousness. You want me to judge in your favor? you got to give me more than the guy who wants the other side of the judgment. You want me to tell you that your sins are, well, they're okay with God? Put money in my pocket. What's the problem when you are motivated by money instead of by service to God? Partiality, you want to give people what they want. Because if you give them what they want, you can have more airplanes and, and bigger mansions and, and souped up Ferraris. But what does it do to your perspective? It warps your perspective. Go to 2 Timothy chapter 4. Paul says that's not just an Old Testament concept. 2 Timothy chapter 4. Verse 3, after telling Timothy to preach the word, not fables, not stories, don't tickle the ears, preach the word whether they want to hear it or whether they don't. Verse 3, for the time will come and they will not endure sound doctrine. What is sound doctrine? Does that mean played on drums? 
That means it follows the word of God. It's consistent with his word. But according to their own desires, because they have itching ears, they will heap up for themselves teachers. And they will turn their ears away from the truth, from the Torah, and be turned aside to fables. Why? Because the preacher wants to give them what they want. Because that makes the crowd happy, which makes them give more money. Go to Zephaniah chapter 3. Not Zechariah. That's tomorrow, maybe. Zephaniah. Like a sound mind, proper, properly focused. Right minded, healthy mind. Yeah. Yes, that kind of doctrine is the kind of doctrine we're looking for, where the doctrine conforms to what? 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16. All scripture is given by inspiration of God. It's God breathed and is good for doctrine. That's what makes sound doctrine. Is it based on the word of God? Right? Zephaniah chapter 3. It makes things a lot easier when you base your doctrine on the word of God. I don't know if you mean easier in the terms of people will like it more. <laughs> Easier in terms of understanding what's expected. Boy, I wish growing up in the church I had known what God expected of me. I had no clue. No clue. I was doing things that God definitely would not have approved of, but I thought I was doing okay. After all, I wasn't shooting bows and arrows, so I wasn't missing any marks. Zephaniah chapter 3. Oh, this is such a neat chapter. It's the one that lets us know we're all going to speak Hebrew in a kingdom, so we may as well start learning it now, but that's not why we came here. Zephaniah 3, verse 4. I don't know why God keeps preaching the same message generation after generation, except that God's word never changes. It says, her prophets are insolent. Insolent is someone who's arrogant and won't listen. They're not bringing the word of God. They're bringing the message they want to deliver. Treacherous people. Her priests have polluted the sanctuary. They have done violence to the Torah. If the preachers don't preach the word of God, how are the people supposed to learn and do? I mean, you have Bibles you can study on your own, but doesn't it help if you're being taught correctly? If you're being given the tools that it takes to understand God's work, because believe it or not, sometimes it can be tough. Verse 5 says, The Lord is righteous in her midst. He will do no unrighteousness. You know what? He won't do it. He won't accept it either. So if you hear somebody say, God wants us to sin, he enjoys that, turn to the Bible and show me where it says that. You know what? It's not there. Let's go to the book of Luke in the New Testament. Maybe the New Testament says something different. God is so adamant through, what did you say? All of his prophets. That the people, when they sin, he says they're doing violence to the law, violence to the Torah. Here we are at the very near the end of the Old Testament, Zephaniah. And God hasn't thrown up his hands and said, well, I can't keep it, so let's go to plan 
And God hasn't thrown up his hands and said, we need a plan B. No, he hasn't, has he? So, I mean, all the way even to Malachi, God is saying, why are these even to the book of Malachi, God's saying, why are these people not keeping my Torah? Do you see that as a constant theme through the Old Testament? And somehow in the eyes of people, it changes when you cross into the New Testament. Why didn't God maybe write Luke chapter 6, verse 46, why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things I say? In other words, it doesn't change, does it? It kind of goes back to what Moses said to them. It's the same. It's the same message from Deuteronomy, well, from Torah to Revelation. Same message from Deuteronomy or Torah all the way to Revelation. When Messiah said in Matthew four four, "Man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God," he's quoting from where? Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. That's from Deuteronomy. It hadn't changed. Something else when you mentioned Moses. You thought about Deuteronomy 18. Where he talks about the prophet that is to come, referring to Messiah. So he did not say anything about Messiah or the prophet saying anything contrary. He did not tell us that Messiah or the prophet would preach anything contrary to his own message, did he? No, in fact, he says, My words will be in his mouth and he shall speak all that I command him. It says, My words shall be in his mouth and I shall speak all that he shall command them. Is that not what John 14 says? But the words you hear are not mine but the Father's who sent me. In other words, go back and read Deuteronomy 18. In other words, go back and read Deuteronomy over again. Absolutely. Why does Messiah say in Matthew 5, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or the smallest piece of a letter will pass until heaven and earth pass away. He would know. He wrote the book. And he's going to be the judge at the end of whether we kept it or not. So look in the book of Luke, chapter 12. Oh, as you're going by, be sure and read Luke 6.46 to make sure it says, But why do you call me Lord, Lord, and not do the things which I say? But it will. Luke 12, verse 15. And he said to them, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. The prosperity preachers say the more righteous you are with God, the richer you will become. Didn't Messiah say, The birds of the air have nests and the foxes have holes, but the Son of Man is nowhere even to lay his hand? Listening to the wrong radio station. Beware of covetousness. Why? Because where your heart is, your heart's where your treasure is. So if your treasure's on earth, there's your focus. And is that not why the chief priests and Pharisees, many of whom recognized Yeshua was the Messiah, but called for his death anyway, because they were wealthy and powerful because of their positions with Rome, and they believed Messiah was going to break them away from Rome. They were more interested in the gold in their pockets than the salvation of their souls. I can't read your t-shirt, but it starts with Messiah. Messiah College. Ah, Messiah College in Grantham, Pennsylvania. Got it. Okay. Uh, I digress. Go to Ephesians. 
Go to Ephesians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Ephesians chapter 5. Okay, then we'll read Ephesians 4.17 and then we'll go to chapter 5. Ephesians 4.17 says, This I say therefore and testify in the Lord, which means it's true, that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. If they're walking contrary to the commandments of God, should we as believers continue to walk contrary to the commandments of God? No, it absolutely says here don't do that. But in Ephesians chapter 5 verse 3 says, But let fornication and all uncleanness or covetousness, let it not even be named among you as is fitting for saints. That word saints is hagios, is the holy ones, is the same word as Revelation 14, 12. Who keep the commandments of God in the faith of Yeshua. But what does Paul say about uncleanness and covetousness? Do not let it even be named among you. Meaning don't let there even be rumors about it. Let your life be righteous and upright before the Lord. Such that people can't even bring the untrue allegations against you. Go to 2 Peter chapter 2. 2 Peter's view is on the rapture and the resurrection. When you see people do commentaries, in, like, in Ephesians 5, 3, when they mention, like in Ephesians 5, 3, when they mention all uncleanness, all uncleanness they try to reinvent the definition of uncleanness. Yeah, they try and reinvent the definition of uncleanness. Yeah. Take out Leviticus 11. Take out Leviticus 11. They reinterpret it. It's all about sexual immorality is, what, is how I always see it. Yeah. They reinterpret it according to the way they wish it was written. As opposed to the way God wrote it. But in 2 Peter chapter 2, let's read verses 1 to 3. It tells us why there are so many false prophets and false teachers. It's reading just like it did back in Jeremiah. But there are also false prophets among the people. Talking about in the Old Testament, like in Jeremiah's day. Even as there will be false teachers among you. And everybody goes, duh. Who will secretly bring in destructive heresies. What's a heresy? It's an incorrect doctrine. It's an error in doctrine. Even denying the Lord who bought them. And bring on themselves swift destruction. And many will follow their destructive ways. Because of whom the way of truth. The way of Torah will be blasphemed. So it tells us that the destructive heresies are contrary to the commandments of God. And verse 3 tells us why they do it. By covetousness, they will exploit you with deceptive words. So why do they do it? Covetousness. Greed. What can I get from you? Well, if you like the message I'm given and, and it, it validates your ability to continue in sin, then you're likely to put more gold in my pocket. By the way, I don't want your gold. That's the problem I have when the pastor's just an employee. Where there's a board saying, you can teach this, but you can't teach that. 
Boy, I don't like that a bit. Back to Jeremiah. Jeremiah chapter 6. It reminds me of the pastor out there in Nebraska who every Sunday morning gets a printed page from the denomination that says you will read these verses, you will tell these stories, you will tell this joke, and you will pass the offering plate and you'll send the people home. Mm. A lot of churches have a cross up at the front, but not that church. It's got a pagan totem pole. It's a Christian church, or so they say. How do you realize that totem poles are not godly objects? I thought you did. Back to Jeremiah 6, verse 14. They have also healed the hurt of my people slightly, tongue-in-cheek, saying, peace, peace, when there is no peace. So when the people are getting nervous, they're getting concerned. Jeremiah, look at Babylon's coming and taking some of our people captive. The northern king of Israel's gone. What are we going to do? And the false prophets are going, oh, don't listen to Jeremiah. Come on. God says, peace, peace, everything will be fine. Trust me, I'm a prophet. Does that sound like 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3? Turn up to 1 Thessalonians 5, verse 3, which is about the days that are just in front of us. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5, verse 3. For when they say peace and safety, which is the same as peace, peace, or peace and security, then sudden destruction comes upon them as labor pains upon a pregnant woman. They shall not escape. He should have just said, go back and read Jeremiah. When the false prophets tell you everything is fine, that you don't need to repent of your sins, you can continue in them and God will be pleased with you, then look out. What is that verse in Psalm 119, verse 124? Time for you to act, O Lord. Lord, because they have considered your law as void. Can't remember if it's 124 or 142. Let's go look at it. Psalm 119. Yeah, it's on the right-hand side in the right-hand column. Psalm 119, verse 126. It is time for you to act, O Lord, for they have regarded your Torah as void. What's void mean? Useless, done away with, abolished, of no importance. All those buzzwords. But look back at verse 44 of Psalm 119. So shall I keep your Torah continually forever and ever. Psalm 119 verse 44. So shall I keep your Torah continually forever and ever. Do you know the difference between forever and forever and ever? Forever and ever means into eternity, future without ever a possibility of an ending. What's that, Doc? I was going to say this life and the life to come. This life and the life to come, meaning when will God's Torah end? Never. 
Look at verse 45. I was about to. I got a big asterisk by it in my Bible. I put it in there myself. For I will walk at liberty. What does Rahav mean? That it's a wide, spacious area of safety. For I seek your precepts. If you're walking according to the path of God, keeping his commandments, statutes, and judgments, how much jeopardy are you in? None. And that's what this is talking about. Oh, wow. Verse 47, And I will delight myself in your commandments, which I love. Mans also I will lift up to your commandments, which I love. And I will meditate on your statutes. Yeah, we could spend all night in Psalm 119. But let's go back to Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 15. Oh, no. Verse 15 breaks my heart. God says, were they ashamed when they had committed abomination? No. They were not at all ashamed, nor did they know how to blush. In other words, what? They saw no need to repent. If you don't think your sin is wrong, you're not going to repent. So when you tell people today that homosexuality is fine, that abortion, killing babies, that's fine, etc., etc., what are you telling people? That they don't need to be ashamed of their behavior and therefore they don't need to repent. When you tell people they don't need to repent of their sin, are you putting them on the narrow road to eternal life or the broad road to the lake of fire? The broad road. That's why it says, therefore, because they were not ashamed, because they saw no need to repent, they shall fall. Among those who fall. At the time I punish them, they shall be cast down, says the Lord. Is that what you want to hear from the Lord come judgment day? It is not. Verse 16, thus says the Lord. Stand, that is a command. That's not a suggestion. It's not a request. Stand in the ways and see. And that command is plural. The word ways is plural. That means there's more than one way that people are walking. If there's many paths that the people are taking, are they all walking God's way? The answer is no. Stand in the ways and see and ask for the old paths. That word old isn't old. It's olam. It's from the very beginning. It means God's commandments have not changed. God does not have you on a serpentine path. Crossing back and forth and back and forth. Hey, I want this for a while. Now I don't want that now, but I want it again. No. Ask for the old past, the past from eternity past, where the good way is. The Hebrew actually says, the way of the good. 
the way of the good, the way that God would call good and walk in it. Ooh. What's he mean, walk in it? Actually do it. it. When there's a hundred paths to choose from, which one should we choose? The one God set forth from eternity past. Because it goes to eternity future because God does not change. Give me a verse that says, My covenant I will not break nor alter the word that has gone out of my lips. Psalm 89, 34. Pretty soon you're all going to put that on t-shirts, aren't you? I just know it. Don't, no, no, no tattoos. It says the way of the good. The way of the good. It's a word pair. In other words, the path that God set. Does the scripture say don't veer to the left or to the right? Then you're walking on the good path. That's not like the good place, the TV show. If you've never seen it, you don't know what I'm talking about, and that's okay. Go back to Deuteronomy chapter 12, verse 8. Well, for those of you who are curious, the good place is a TV show, and the premise is these people have died. And they're being told that they've gone to the good place, meaning heaven. But they're actually in the bad place, and the demons are just toying with them. Wow. Making them think they're in the good place when they're not. That ain't Deuteronomy 12. No, it was just a TV show. Wayne, that was Psalm 89, what? Verse 34. Thank you. Yes, ma'am. Deuteronomy 12, verse 8. You shall not at all do as we are doing here today, every man doing whatever is right in his own eyes. If you're not going to do what is right in your own eyes, then you're doing what's right in whose eyes? In God's eyes. So the scripture says you can't do just whatever you want to do. Look at Judges chapter 17. Judges chapter 17. Let me make sure everybody's muted. Judges 17, verse 6. Let me give you a chance to find it. In those days there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what? What was right in his own eyes. Didn't God just say in Deuteronomy, don't do that? Well, they forgot. Then in Judges chapter 21. Yeah, they weren't any better when there was a king in Israel. But between Judges chapter 17 and Judges chapter 21, we've gone through some iterations, right? So surely the people are walking uprightly now. Judges 21, 25. In those days, there was no king in Israel. Everyone did what was right in his own eyes. So the time of the judges end when we have our first king in Israel, Saul. 
Did Saul lead the people in the path of righteousness? No, he didn't. Did David? David did. Did Solomon? No. Part of the time, yes, but in the end, no. When will people walk in the paths of the Lord doing what's right in God's eyes? In the millennial kingdom, for sure. Actually, some, some do in every generation. There's even a scripture about that. There's a remnant, always a remnant. The heart of God is found by those who seek him. And those are the ones that walk in his ways, and they are usually persecuted for doing that. Yep, they usually are. So let's go on to Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7. Proverbs chapter 3, verse 7. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and depart from evil. What does that mean? Stop sinning. Repent. Get back on God's path. Proverbs chapter 12. Once you start looking, you can get kind of amazed at how often God says the same thing and people just don't want to hear it. Proverbs chapter 12, verse 15. The way of a fool is right in his own eyes. But he who heeds counsel is wise. Counsel from whom? From the Lord. Those who get counsel to get back on the path of the Lord. So the way of a fool appears right in his own eyes. Wouldn't it be nice if come judgment day we get to be our own judge? Didn't you all have professors like that in college? Oh, you just grade your own exams and tell me what grade you got. I didn't have those kind either. Well, our own deeds are going to judge us, it looks like. So yeah. we are our own judges. Proverbs 16, verse 2. Proverbs 16, verse 2. All the ways of a man are pure in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the spirits. Hmm. But not hard for the Lord. It means, what spirit are you following? Mm-hmm. And chapter 21, verse 2. Proverbs 21, verse 2. Every way of a man is right in his own eyes, but the Lord weighs the hearts to do righteousness and justice. It's more acceptable to the Lord than sacrifice. Oh, what does that mean? Exactly. You bring a sacrifice after you repent from the sin. God would rather you not do the sin in the first place. So walk uprightly before the Lord, and that is more pleasing to the Lord than your needing to repent in the first place. People who take the mentality that God has abolished the law, they'll read that. They'll read that. Thank God, God doesn't want the sacrifice. 
You think God doesn't want sacrifice. You're absolutely right. In fact, what I was told just recently, turn to the book of Isaiah. Turn to the book of Isaiah. Chapter 1. Look at verse 13. Bring no more futile sacrifices. Incense is an abomination to me. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies, I cannot endure. said, see, God doesn't want you to keep the Sabbath. He doesn't want you to keep the festivals. He doesn't want any of your sacrifices or incenses. He doesn't want another temple. It says so right here. Yeah, I put a period after endure. Because if you read on, it says, I cannot endure iniquity in the sacred meeting. In other words, repent first, then come before me. He's saying you cannot have both. You cannot have the blessings of God when you're walking in unrepentant sin. And that's what people don't want to hear. It makes sense that God would say that to the people because of Colossians chapter 2. All these, the new moons, the Sabbaths point to what? Point to Messiah. So the world doesn't want you to do the things that point to Messiah. God is saying if you do these things in a futile way, you're breaking the picture of Messiah. If your heart is not there, if your obedience is not there, then just stay out of his courts. Yeah. Carrying on with this, Proverbs chapter 30. By now people are going, how many more times can God say this? The answer is a bunch. Proverbs church <laughs> chapter 30. I love this one. This is so cool. I like verse 2. Surely I am more stupid than any man and do not have the understanding of a man. And then we get over to the verse that we came for and that's verse 12. There is a generation that is pure in its own eyes yet it is not washed from its filthiness. I guess we're in that generation. Yeah. I mean, this is as clear as I think God could say it. They think they are pure and righteous, and God says, but they're not even washed from their filthiness. If you had gone up to the scribes and Pharisees in the first century Israel and said, are you on the path to heaven, what would they have said? Absolutely. Absolutely. Come with me. Come with me. I'll show you the way. And what does Messiah say? He said, nope. Said, they are sepulchers full of dead men's bones. Yep. What about Isaiah chapter 5, verse 21? Doesn't that tell us we can do whatever we want? We already know it doesn't. Let's go look. Isaiah 5, verse 21. You've heard me say many times, if you're not a horse, woe is a bad word. (laughs) Woe to those who are wise in their own eyes and prudent in their own sight. 
The reason there's the woe, which means judgment is coming, is because then they see no need to repent. And if you don't see a need to repent, you're probably not going to. We keep talking about your way versus the Lord's way. Let's go back to Deuteronomy 5 and see what the Lord's way even is. How do we know what it is? It means if you're an archer, be careful to hit the target. No, that's not what it means. Deuteronomy 5, verse 32. This is the very definition of the Lord's way. Therefore you shall be careful to do as the Lord your God has commanded you. You shall not turn aside to the right hand or to the left. To the right hand or to the left means don't add to it. Don't take away from it. If God said remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy, can we say well no forget the Sabbath we'll do Sunday instead? Well, that's what happened at the Council of Laodicea in Canon 29, right? Actually, very. Well, as soon as, as the Jewish members were actually put out of the churches, uh -huh. the, the scriptures that we read earlier, and I can't quite quote it, but the doctrines turned away from God's way. The doctrine turned away from the word of God to man's commandments. To enriching men. And basically, they would go through all these debates and arguments about what was here and what should be there. And that wasn't even the issue. Yep. They set aside the commandments of God and replaced it with the commandments of men. That's Mark chapter 7. And That's exactly had, what the scribes and, and Pharisees did. Over which of those commandments of men we should honor and which ones were heresy and Yep. God's word was not even in the picture. Right. Yes, ma'am. Isaiah 5, verse 21. You want me to go to Isaiah 5, 24? You heard today that the law was abolished. Did they cite Isaiah 5, verse 24? Let's see what it says. Therefore, as the fire devours the stubble, and the flame consumes the chaff, so their root will be as rottenness, and their blossom will ascend like dust, because they have rejected the law of the Lord of hosts, and despised the word of the Holy One of Israel. That makes you think of his Psalm 119, verse 126, right? It certainly does. Back in verse 20 of Isaiah 5, Woe to those who call evil good and good evil. People are real quick to quote that verse, especially when talking about America. Yeah, people are real quick to cite that verse when talking about America. They never tie it to verse 24 as to being the root cause. But they never tie it to verse 24 for being the root cause. If their theology begins with the commandments of God are abolished, then how many verses must they misunderstand? Yeah, an awful lot. Let's go to Joshua chapter 1. The great thing about God and his prophets is he tells people why he's upset. Yeah. He's about to 
and why he's about to bring judgment upon them, or as you said, zap them into oblivion. Much the same thing. It's always that you're being judged because you're being disobedient to my commandments because that means you have forgotten or forsaken me. You're exactly right. It's just a common thing throughout all the prophets. In fact, we're going to come across the scripture if we get to it that God's going to talk about all of my prophets try to turn people from sin to righteousness. So when I hear somebody today say, well, I'm a prophet of God, I can tell you whether it'll rain next Tuesday. The prophets of God were not about predicting the weather. It was about calling people to repentance. I like my weather app at home. You put a string out there on the porch, and if it's swinging, it's windy. If it's wet, it's raining. Okay. <laughs> Joshua chapter 1, verse 7. Only be strong and very courageous that you may observe to do according to all the law, all the Torah, which Moses, my servant, commanded you. Who's this speaking? Joshua. No. This is the Lord speaking. Joshua. Joshua. Yeah, Yeah, but it's the Lord speaking. All the Torah which Moses, my servant, commanded you, do not turn from it to the right hand or to the left, that you may prosper wherever you go. God's blessing comes from what? From veering off his path Mm -hmm. or from sticking to his path. Don't go to the left or to the right. Y'all know Deuteronomy chapter 12, the very last verse, right? Don't add to or take away from. Yeah, it'll probably come up here again in a minute. Joshua chapter 23. Joshua chapter 23, verse 6. Therefore, you know what therefore means? Be very courageous to keep and to do. Does that mean to have a book on a shelf about it? No, it means to do it. To do what? All that is written in the book of the law of Moses, lest you turn aside from it to the right hand or to the left. In Matthew 28, 18, the Great Commission, what does the scripture say? Teaching them to observe what? All things whatsoever I have commanded you. That means teach him not to turn to the left hand or to the right. And everybody knows Joshua 24, 15, which ends, But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. But the point of verse 15 is you must choose. Will you serve the Lord or will you do it your own way? There's a song out there about I did it my way. Well, that wasn't the right way. I thought it might come up. In fact, Deuteronomy 12.32 is the next scripture to say, let's turn and look at it. I have people who send me emails that say, Wayne, you could teach a whole lot more if you quit telling people to turn there and waiting for them to turn. Just go on. I want you to see that it's written in your Bible. I want you to see it with your own eyes. Anybody can lie to you, but the word of God is true. Whatever I command you, which means everything I command you, 
Be careful to observe it. What's that word observe mean? To guard, to do it. You shall not add to it nor take away from it. And in chapter 13, verse 1 is, yeah, but what if there's a prophet who tells us to do something different? It says, God is testing you. What's it say? Verse 3, you shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer dreams, for the Lord your God is testing you. So know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul, you shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him. Keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve and hold fast to him. So suppose you're on a rooftop at Joppa down at what is today Tel Aviv. Right on the Mediterranean Sea. Beautiful day. Hear a voice from heaven say, rise Peter and eat. Peter says, hey, I, I, I've been reading my scriptures. I ain't doing that. I've never eaten anything common or unclean. But he heard a voice from heaven. That said, break God's law. And what did Peter say? No Not so, Lord. He was saying he hadn't even broken man's law. Yep, said he had not even broken man's law about what to eat or not because to eat. Common, he could have eaten. But he said, I, I'm innocent toward man and toward God. Yipper. I, have not, I don't go against authority. I, yep. I do it. How many of you have heard preachers preach like I have that Peter sinned? By disobeying God, not eating the pig. They simply do not understand. 1 John chapter 2, but not the verses you think. I know it's funny that. With what God told Peter. You said, I've never eaten anything common or unclean. I've not broken your law or the rabbinic fences. And it was also the rabbinic fence that was keeping the, the gospel from going to the Gentiles. So he had to come to the understanding of we follow God's commandments, not man's fences. Yeah, nice try, Peter, but. Why should Peter have known? Because of Mark chapter 7. That's Peter's preaching. He should have known. 1 John chapter 2 verse 7. Brethren, I write no new commandment to you, but an old commandment which you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word which you have heard from the beginning. Is John trying to say, well, this is something new? Some you never heard before? No, he's saying God's word doesn't change. Maybe we should try actually following it. What a thought. Another confirmation of Torah existing before Sinai. Yeah. When Abraham told Abimelech that Sarah was his sister. And God intervened. And Abimelech said, why did you tell me she was your sister? I might have committed adultery with her. Was that before or after Mount Sinai? Long before. Adultery has been a sin from the beginning. It didn't take Exodus chapter 20. When Cain killed his brother Abel, did God say, gee, I, I should make up a commandment against that someday? Yeah, yeah, all that's true. So let us go back to 
Jeremiah chapter 6, we're up to verse 17. Even God told Cain, sin lies at your door. Sin is the breaking of the commandments. God destroyed Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis 19 because of their iniquity, which is their lawlessness, their failure to follow God's commandments. Yeah, There's many examples we could go back to to say... What, is it, what did we read last week in Revelation that the angels preach the everlasting gospel that it's never changed? From the beginning it's never changed. So Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 17 says, Oops, I didn't finish 16, I don't think. Thus says the Lord, stand in the ways and see and ask for the old past, the past from eternity past, the ones that have always been. The Torah has always been there. Where the good way is, the way of the good, and walk in it. And that was not a suggestion, right? That was a commandment. Then you will find rest for your souls. What kind of rest are we talking about? We're talking about the Sabbatismos of Hebrews chapter 4, verse 9, the Sabbath rest. Does this suggest that if we are walking in unrepentant sin continually that we're not on the path toward the eternal kingdom? Yeah, it's not really veiled, is it? You're right, it's pretty plain. But they said, we will not walk in it. It's not, whoops, oh, we were mistaken. It's we will not walk in it. Revelation 16. Let's go up to Revelation 16. The vile or bold judgments are being poured out. And the people know where the judgments are coming from. And they shake their fists in the faith of God, face of God and say, We will not repent. Yeah, people digging their heels in and saying, I will not repent. So in Revelation 16, in verse 9, it ends with, And they did not repent and give him glory. Verse 11 ends, And did not repent of their deeds. So they blaspheme God to his face. They know there's a God. They know that these judgments are from God. Doesn't that make them saved because they believe in God? No. Because they will not repent of their deeds, they have forsaken God. The fact that they know he's up there doesn't help their case in the slightest. So back to Jeremiah chapter 6. That's what I want people to understand. They've been taught that if you believe there's a God in heaven, you're saved. But if you go back in your mind, close your eyes and put yourself at Mount Sinai. Where the mountain's quaking, it's on fire. They hear the voice of the living God with their own ears and they are terrified. Was there any one of them that didn't know there was a God in heaven? No, they all knew. In fact, they said, don't let him speak to us anymore. Let him speak to you, Moses, and you tell us the rest. And yet, what does Hebrews chapter 3 say? They didn't get to enter into the rest because of unbelief. It's not that they didn't believe there is a God. They didn't believe that he's God enough to obey him. What is God if you don't obey him? He's not God. He's Santa Claus or an ATM machine. Gimme, gimme, gimme. 
I'm sorry, I digress. Back to Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 17. Also I set watchmen over you. Those watchmen are the prophets he's talking about. Saying, listen to the sound of the trumpet. But they said, we will not listen. The trumpets they're talking about are announcing the approaching armies, the danger. It says, get ready, get ready, repent, be right with God. And they're saying, nah, we don't want to hear it. Just save your breath. Let's go to Ezekiel chapter 3. Ezekiel speaks a lot about the watchmen. Ezekiel chapter 3 verse 17. God is speaking to the prophet Ezekiel. Yechezkiel. Son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. Therefore, hear a word from my mouth and give them warning from me. When I say to the wicked, you shall surely die, and you give him no warning, nor speak to warn the wicked from his wicked way to save his life, that same wicked man shall die in his iniquity, but his blood I will require at your hand. Yet if you warn the wicked, he does not turn from his wickedness, nor from his wicked way. He shall die in his iniquity, but you have delivered your soul. Meaning if you see somebody heading for the lake of fire full speed and decide, eh, I'm going to let him go. What does that say about your heart? Is it right before God? Can you take pleasure in the death of a wicked person? God doesn't take pleasure in the death of a wicked person. Chapter 33 of Ezekiel. I've been preaching the same message for 30 years now. And the fact that people won't listen to it doesn't mean I don't have to keep preaching. I have to keep trying. We still have some time. Ezekiel 33, verses 6 and 7. But if the watchman sees the sword coming and does not blow the trumpet, and the people are not warned, and the sword comes and takes any person from among them, he's taken away his iniquity, but his blood I require at the watchman's hand. So you, son of man, I have made you a watchman for the house of Israel. There you shall hear a word from my mouth and warn them for me. So that's the kind of trumpet sound from verse 6 that God is talking about. The sound of the trumpet that announces judgment is coming. If you sound the alarm and people ignore you, well, at least you've done your job. They made their choice. How long should we continue? Until it becomes clear they will not listen. Scripture says don't cast your pearls before swine. But make sure they've had a chance to hear it. When, yes, ma'am. When it comes to whether they believe in God or don't. Or don't. And you talk to them about God. When they claim to be saved. Like you said, that God says, you're, uh, we don't have to obey that. 
When they say he wants you to sin, God likes it when you sin. Correct. They are not really saved according to the scripture. If they're saved, then the Bible is wrong. And is the Bible the word of God? If it is, it can't be wrong. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4 are very clear, right? Let's go look at them. They're trampling the blood of Messiah underfoot. 1 John chapter 2, verses 3 and 4. If this is the word of God, as it certainly looks to me like it is, says, now by this we know that we know him, and John 17, 3 says to know him is to have eternal life. If we keep his commandments, Mm -hmm. he who says, I know him, does not keep his commandments, is a liar, and the truth is not in him. So if the preacher is preaching, the law has been abolished, don't obey those commandments anymore. I know people keep asking me, well, aren't they saved anyway? Not if the Bible is correct. And since the Bible can't be in here, I got to say, doesn't look like it to me. Now let's go back to verses 18 and 19. I'm not sure I read them yet. Nope. Because this is the point I want you to get from Jeremiah 6, the biggest point. Is God is talking to Jeremiah about Israel, but not just about Israel. Verse 18 says, Therefore hear you nations. This message is to the entire world, not just to Israel. Not just to the Gentiles. Not just to the Jews, but to Jews and Gentiles alike. Israel and the nations of all. Therefore hear you nations and know, O congregation. So the nations are the world, the congregation is Israel. So it's for everybody. What is among them? Hear, O earth, behold, I will, bring cal- I will certainly bring calamity on this people, the fruit of their thoughts, because they have not heeded my words nor my Torah, but rejected it. Yep. So why does God want the nations of the world to know that this is why judgment's falling upon Israel? Okay, answer the question first. Because he wants the entire world to learn and now add a scripture to it. Romans 15, 4, like Daniel said. Because the mistakes of Israel, which are God's people, if he's judging their sins, he's going to judge yours too. That's the exact point. Romans 15, 4. Whatever things were written before were written for our learning, that we through the patience and comfort of the scriptures might have hope. So Jeremiah 6, 18 and 19 is taken notice, O oh, the rest of you nations. You still have an opportunity to repent. Watch what happens to what I do to my beloved people when they refuse to repent. Now what are you going to learn from it? God judges sin. Now in verse 19, Hear, O earth. That's a pretty big place. Behold, which means shut up and listen. This is really important. Take note, all you nations. I will certainly bring calamity on this people. That's his beloved people, his chosen people, who turn their backs on him. 
If he's going to judge them for their sins, what's he going to do to the rest of the world? It says, because they have not heeded my words, nor my law, but rejected it. That word because takes me to Psalm 119, verse 126 that we've already turned to, but just put it in your notes again. That's the verse that said, it's time for you to act, O Lord, for they have considered your law as void. That message, Jeremiah was to preach to the whole world, not just to Israel. Do you think that message has gone away? Lost its relevance? No. What God is telling nations here is the same thing that God told Abraham back in Genesis 15, which was judging the Canaanites, sending them out of the land when their iniquity gets full. And it's the same word, iniquity, lawlessness. And is that before or after Mount Sinai? That's 400 years before Mount Sinai. And God was judging the Amorites, the Canaanites, the Sevenites, for breaking God's commandments. But they weren't Jews. How many times does the word Jew appear in the first five books of the Bible, the Torah? Zero, not at all. Why do you think that is? Because the words are for everyone. For our admonition. Was there a great mixed multitude that came out of Egypt with Israel? Yeah. What happened to them? They become grafted in. Like Romans chapter 11. Like the Christians who come out of the Gentile world and through faith are saved and grafted into Israel. A lot of people don't want to hear that. They say, no, 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 we're not grafted into Israel. We hate Israel. Well, if you hate Israel, you're not part of Israel. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Unfortunately, who was the new covenant for? Israel. Israel. Israel's between God and Israel. So when you say, I'm not part of Israel, what are you saying? I'm not part of the new covenant. It's for, that's the only part there is of Israel. The rest is Jacob. But you were right there. And doesn't Romans, the, the very early chapters of Romans, doesn't that clearly lay out that everyone knows that there's a God and everyone yep. knows right from wrong it, it, yes it does it's, in, it's written into us at birth we know right from wrong and Paul just does a good job in Romans of saying you know if a pagan who hasn't even heard of God does through his inner workings his consciousness follows the law of God he knows the law of God yeah if he does that God is going to reconcile him yeah so it's a I, I think that when people say what about people who've never heard of, of Messiah well scripture says we have all heard of Messiah through the stars yep. in our birth yep there's one more verse I wanted to do on this and would you believe it's Romans 331 because a lot of times when I talk to a, a, a generic traditional Christian, I say, does our faith make the law void? They go, well, of course it does. I say, well, what did Paul say? 
Let's go to Romans 3.31. Paul answered that very question. He posed it and he provided the answer for it. And I like the way Paul put it. He puts one of those does at the end of it. <laughs> Do we then make void the law through faith? That's the straightforward question. The answer is majinoito. Certainly not. God forbid. No way, Jose. On the contrary, we establish the law, the Torah. I can't tell you how many times I have heard so-called Christians say, I have faith, I don't have to obey the law. Right. They, they exactly contrary to what the scripture says. Yeah. And Paul goes on in Romans 6, verse 1, to say, What then? Shall we continue in sin that grace may abound? The answer... Majinoito, God forbid, no way, Jose, put it however you want. But turn to Jeremiah chapter 6. Jeremiah chapter 6. There's one more word I want to look at in verse 19. I will certainly bring calamity on this people. It's not the word calamity. The Hebrew word is ra'ah. It means evil. It means bad things are going to happen. I'm going to bring bad things. Well, that's what I would call the complete destruction of Judah and Jerusalem and the temple and the death of every person in there. That was bad. Yep. So let's go on to verse 20. For what purpose to me? comes frankincense from Sheba, that's Saudi Arabia, and sweet cane from a far country. Your burnt offerings are not acceptable, nor your sacrifice is sweet to me. That's Isaiah chapter 1, verses 10 to 20. Let's turn back to Isaiah chapter 1 and realize that this was written more than 100 years before Jeremiah writes. The people just don't want to hear it. But the message did not change over time. Isaiah chapter 1. Let me give you a chance to find it. Verse 10. Hear the word of the Lord. Is that here a suggestion? A polite request? No. You rulers of Sodom. Give ear to love our God, you people of Gomorrah. Sodom and Gomorrah have been gone since the days of Abraham. So why is he calling the people in Israel Sodom and Gomorrah? Because they're sinning like Sodom and Gomorrah. And does God want them to realize that as God judged Sodom and Gomorrah, they will judge us too? That's what he wants them to realize. To what purpose is the multitude of your sacrifices to me, says the Lord? That's a good question. Think about it. Why does God want them in the first place? You must first repent and then bring the sacrifice. What happens if you bring the sacrifice but you don't repent? You killed an innocent animal. That's all. What happens if you plead the blood of Messiah which was shed for me? But you won't repent of the sin. Does his death take your sin away anyway? 
unrepentant, continuing sin. What was the first word out of Peter's mouth when he said, what shall we do? Repent. What did John the Baptist say to the Pharisees and Sadducees who came to be baptized to show their repentance? said, you brood of vipers, you haven't repented. You don't intend to repent. Bear fruits worthy of repentance. If I'm wrong, prove me wrong. Show me that you've changed. Show me that you've repented. But what if they said, no, we're going to continue in our sin and God's going to forgive us anyway. Yeah, he said, I was right to call you a bunch of snakes. It goes on in verse 11. It says, I have had enough of burnt offerings of rams and the fat of fed cattle. I do not delight in the blood of bulls or of lambs or goats. God didn't command the sacrifices because he wants an animal to die. When you come to appear before me, who has required this from your hand to trample my courts? That is to bring a sacrifice into my court without repenting first. Who, who said to do that? Bring no more futile sacrifice. Futile sacrifice is one without meaning. Incense is an abomination to me. The incense before God is the sweet prayers of the saints. But when you're living in sin, what does the scripture say? Proverbs 28, 9. If you turn your ear away from hearing the law, even your prayer is in abomination. God says, I don't want any more of the abomination that you're bringing. The new moons, the Sabbaths, and the calling of assemblies. Dash, dash. I cannot endure iniquity and the sacred meeting. Meaning what's supposed to precede the new moons, the Sabbaths, and the assemblies? Repentance. God cannot endure unrepentant sinners claiming to be his children and claiming to be righteous. He says, your new moons and your appointed feasts, not mine, yours, my soul hates. They're not what God requested. God requested these of his repentant children. They're a trouble to me. I'm weary of burying them. Of burying them. When you spread out your hands, that is in prayer. I will hide my eyes from you. That's Proverbs 28.9, isn't it? It's right there. Even though you make many prayers, I will not hear. Why? Your hands are full of blood. How many of you have seen the videos on YouTube of preachers out there blessing abortion clinics because they're doing God's work? Your hands are full of blood. Wash yourselves. Make yourselves clean. Put away the evil of your doings from before my eyes. Cease to do evil. Reduce verse 16 to one word. Repent. Mm -hmm. Verse 17 Verse 17 is, once you've repented, then demonstrate it, live it, learn to do good, seek justice, rebuke the oppressor, defend the fatherless, plead for the widow. Your actions will demonstrate your repentance. If your life has not changed, you have not repented. What did God say in Jeremiah? You were not ashamed of your sins. So you were not motivated to repent. Because you didn't think you had anything to repent of. Verse 18, just three more verses here. Come now and let us reason together. That's the call of a court to come together. A house of judgment, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, 
That's the Shaney covered cloth that goes on the neck of the scapegoat of Yom Kippur. That when God accepted their atonement, that, that cloth would turn white. He says, though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. What does it take for our scarlet sin to become white like snow? Repentance, which leads to forgiveness. Though they're red like crimson, they shall be as wool. If, what's that word if? If you are willing and obedient. Willing to want to repent. And obedient to want the commands of God. You shall eat the good of the land. But if you refuse and rebel, you shall be devoured by the sword, for the mouth of the Lord has spoken. This was more than a hundred years before Jeremiah's writing. Saying what? You thought God was kidding? God was not kidding. Go back to Jeremiah 6. That was verse 20. Yes, sir? No, I was thinking about sacrifices. You were thinking about sacrifices. Sacrifice was when you sin. You sacrifice an innocent in place of your sin. You repent and then you sacrifice an innocent in your place because the wages of sin is death. And I was thinking about, you know, in order to do that, like how heartbreaking would that be to kill an innocent? In order to do that, how heartbreaking would it be to kill an innocent animal? Unfortunately, not that hard back in those days because you couldn't go to the grocery store to buy food. So they were killing their own animals I mean, all the time. If you had to do it today, how heartbreaking would that be? Could you kill a little lamb, an innocent little lamb? It would be terrifying. So I'm going to tie that to when we sin today. So you're going to tie that to when we sin today. It should break our hearts. Because that's like Messiah being sacrificed. My sin caused the death of Yeshua on the tree. If I'd been the only person in the world, he would have died just for me. Knowing that, how easy should it be for me to go out and sin again? You shouldn't want to do it at all. That's why 1 John says it's impossible for somebody who's saved to sin. It means to continue a lifestyle of sin, you just can't do it. Because you realize it caused the death of Messiah on Calvary's tree. And you can't put him to an open shame again. Ooh, this is getting deep in it. Okay. Verse 21. Therefore. Uh Uh-oh. What does therefore mean? Because of everything we've read from verses 16 through 20. That evil is coming upon the children of God because they're not the children of God anymore. When they turned away from God, he calls them low on me, not my people. He didn't turn away from them. They turned away from him. Therefore, thus says the Lord, Behold, I will lay stumbling blocks before this people, And the fathers and the sons together shall fall on them. The neighbor and his friend shall perish. Does that remind you of anything in the New Testament? Let's go to 1 Corinthians chapter 1.
People say, is God going to put stumbling blocks before innocent people? No, they're not innocent. They've made their choice, and that's the point. First Corinthians chapter 1, starting in verse 20. <coughs> Where is the wise? We're going to look at a lot of verses soon <coughs> about the difference between the wise and the stupid. Where is the scribe? The scribe is the one who carefully copies all the Torah scrolls to make sure they don't make any mistakes. Where is the disputer of this age? Where is the one that comes forth and says, Look at the commandments of God. Why aren't we following them? Has not God made foolish the wisdom of this world? Boy, is that not where we stand today? The wisdom of this world when it comes to God is foolishness. For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God. It pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who want, who believe. Can you believe and not be obedient? The answer is no. For Jews request a sign and Greeks seek after wisdom. But we preach Messiah crucified. To the Jews, a stumbling block, and to the Greeks, foolishness. But to those who are called, both Jews and Greeks, Messiah is the power of God and the wisdom of God. So when it says in verse 23, but we preach Messiah crucified to the Jews, a stumbling block. How is that a stumbling block to the Jews who refuse to see Yeshua as the Messiah? One thing was the stumbling block to them. They didn't want the gospel to go to the Gentiles. That's true. Also, Messiah didn't meet their expectations of what they thought. Also, Messiah didn't meet their expectations of what they thought he should be. They didn't want to obey Torah anyhow. They didn't want to obey Torah, but they wanted him to show obedience to them, to their man-made rules and regulations, like and he our, wouldn't do it. Just like our churches do today. Yeah. But to put it in the modern context... If you do a lot of witnessing to Jewish people, one of the first things you're going to hear is that God cannot take on a human body. Is that God cannot take on a human body. That is, Yeshua cannot be God because Yeshua was a human being. God cannot come in the form of a person. Turn back to Genesis. They don't understand the concept of Goel either. Mm-hmm. That's true. Go back to Genesis chapter 18. This is just that God is not a man. And New Testament says God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and truth. That's true. But the incarnation. And the word became flesh. It was, it was forecast from Genesis 3. Yep, from Genesis 3, the Proto Evangelium. But in Genesis chapter 18, verse 1, then the Lord appeared to him. By the terebinth trees of Mamre, as he was sitting in the tent door in the heat of the day. Who appeared to him? The Lord appeared to him. So he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, three men were standing by him. When he saw them, he ran from the tent door to meet them and bowed himself to the ground and said, My Lord, if I have now found favor in your sight, do not pass on by your servant. How did the Lord appear to Abraham at Mamre, which is Hebron? As a man. 
most of the Jewish people I talked to had never read Genesis 18. They didn't have any idea that God had appeared as a man before. Most Jews do not even read the scripture. Yep, that's true. Let's go to Second Thessalonians chapter 2. Let me not step on tomorrow's teaching, but maybe just a little. Second Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 9 to 12. Why does God allow a stumbling block to be put before those who have turned their back on him? Not those that are questioning, those that have turned their back and rejected him. Because it's what they want. 2 Thessalonians 2.9 The coming of the lawless one is according to the working of Satan, with all power, signs, and lying wonders, and with all unrighteous deception among those who perish because. Here's why they're perishing. Because they did not receive the love of the truth. They don't want to follow God's commandments. They choose to reject them, that they might be saved. And for this reason, God will send them strong delusion that they should believe the lie, that all may be condemned who did not believe the truth, but had pleasure in unrighteousness. Now you get to the bottom line. They want to live in sin. Therefore, they reject God. They reject his commandments, statutes, and judgments because they would rather do that then give up their sin. Let me ask this. What sin is worth burning for an eternity in the lake of fire? Not a one I can think of. I can't think of anything either. Go to Deuteronomy 13. We touched on it earlier. But I thought this was a good place to go over it again. Verses 1 to 4. Because there is coming very soon one in Revelation chapter 13 called the false prophet. Mm -hmm. The false prophet will make the image of the beast speak. Will call fire down from heaven. Will do great signs and lying wonders as 2 Thessalonians talked about. Deuteronomy 13 says, If there rises among you a prophet or a dreamer of dreams and it gives you a sign or a wonder, would you call calling fire down from heaven a sign or a wonder? Yeah, it will make me wonder, huh? And the sign or the wonder comes to pass of which he spoke to you saying, let us go after other gods which you have not known and let us serve them. Work for them to obey them instead of God. Is that not what Romans 6.16 says? The one you obey, that's the one that you serve? You shall not listen to the words of that prophet or that dreamer of dreams. So what if the Pope once upon a time said, forget Sabbath, do Sunday. You got to eat pigs. You can't do Passover. You got to do Easter. Who is he? He's a man. Do we obey God or a man? It says, for the Lord your God is testing you to know whether you love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. You shall walk after the Lord your God and fear him and keep his commandments and obey his voice. You shall serve him and hold fast to him. That's what it means to love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul. Give me a verse that says, what is the love of God? That we keep his commandments. His commandments are not burdensome. 1 John 5 verses 2 and 3, right? It's so simple. The whole concept of love is 
concept of love and God is so simple. It's just wrapped up in that one setting. Keep his commandments. That's how you show God you love him. Yeah, it's just that simple. Yep. I'm getting preached. You go back to Jeremiah. You are so <laughs> Chapter 6, verse 22. i got to turn the page. Thus says the Lord. Who said it? Lord, so don't blame me. Lord said it. Behold, a people comes from the north country. That's got two fulfillments. Anciently, Babylon. In the future, that's Gog and Magog of Ezekiel 38 and 39. Both come from the north. And a great nation will be raised from the farthest parts of the earth. America. No. Because it says north. If you stand in Jerusalem and you go north, you can't go north anymore. You're standing in Moscow. Okay. We could go to... Ezekiel 38 and 39 and read all about Gog and Magog, but given that there's three minutes left, maybe we won't do that. We'll just put in our notes. We all know what that is. So verse 23. They will lay hold on bow and spear. Does that mean they're coming in peace? No, it means they're coming for war. They are cruel and have no mercy. How much mercy? None. Their voice roars like the sea. That's just an indication of how very many of them there are. And they ride on horses. Back then, literally horses. In the future, we would say tanks and armored personnel carrier carriers. The horses of old were the machines of war. Compared to a foot soldier, it was a mighty war machine. As men of war set in array against you, O oh, daughter of Zion. Wait a minute. What's the daughter of Zion? Those are the unwalled cities outside of Jerusalem. Jerusalem's daughters are Bethany, Bethphage, and Bethlehem. Let's go to Joshua chapter 11. Yeah, those are what we call the easy pickings. The law hanging fruit. Joshua chapter 11, verses 19 and 20. Joshua chapter 11, verses 19 to 20. Let me give you a chance to find it. There was not a city that made peace with the children of Israel except the Hivites, the inhabitants of Gibeon, all the others they took in battle. For it was of the Lord to harden their hearts that they should come against Israel in battle, that he might utterly destroy them, and that they might receive no mercy, but that he might destroy them as the Lord had commanded Moses. So the children of Israel were commanded not to show mercy to any of those inhabitants of the land. The Canaanites, the Moabites, well they weren't Moabites, Canaanites, the Ammonites, etc. 
because they had so offended God, walked so far away from God in pagan idolatry and sexual immorality that God said their iniquity was full. So when the children of Israel come to the same state, then God shows them no mercy. The point is that God is not a respecter of persons. If you want to worship the true and living God, then worship him and be his child. And if you don't, suffer the consequences. So in Joshua 11, Israel was obeying God. And they were God's army to execute his judgment of no mercy against the Canaanites. In the days of Jeremiah, they're the object of the no mercy. Let's go to the book of James, chapter 2. That's even what Jeremiah names one of his children, Lo Rahama. Hosea, you said. Means no mercy. James chapter 2. Yeah, God will show them no mercy until he repents. Why? Go back to Exodus 20 and all those many places where God promises mercy to whom? To those who love me and keep my commandments. Yeah, when they won't love him, they won't keep his commandments. Does he promise them mercy anyway? Answer is no. James chapter 2 verse 13. Let's read down to our last 10 seconds. For judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. That's kind of like saying, if you want to be forgiven, you must forgive those who have trespassed against you. If you will not forgive them, God will not forgive you either. If you will not show them mercy, God won't show you mercy. You reap what you sow. Shame there's not a verse like that. <laughs> we'll pick up next week, Lord willing, in uh, Jeremiah chapter 6, verse 24.